Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host Manuel Feit. And today we preview the Germany squad ahead of Euro 2020. And helping me to preview the squad is Stefan Bienkowski. You, of course, heard him many times here before. But if you haven't, why are you the perfect person to help me preview this Germany team? <laughs> why am I the perfect person? I, I, I'm not entirely sure uh, how to answer that question. Uh, I, I, I love my German football. Uh, I pay a lot of attention to it, maybe more than the average normal person should. Uh, but I adore it um, and I'm very excited for the Euros. So I'm delighted to be on the podcast this week to talk to you about Yogi Love's boys. Um, let's start with defense. I think that's been probably the biggest topic. And I don't think we need to talk much about Manuel Neuer. He's he's the clear number one, um, one of the world's best goalkeepers. I would argue maybe still the best goalkeeper in the world. So That's probably one of the biggest strengths of the side. But we are a little worried about the four or maybe three guys in front of him. And it does look a bit like a back three, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, in Lowe's last two games, uh, or well, Germany's last two games, we've seen them kind of go with a back three. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense, especially with the return of Mats Hummels. You know, he kind of slotted back into that team as if he'd never left. Uh, I think he offers a kind of degree of experience, stability, and just overall talent that I don't think Germany really had in their other centre-back positions, perhaps aside from Antonio Rudiger, who, you know, let's be honest, has maybe only really began to properly excel as a really great player maybe in the last 12, 18 months, especially in the last six months in particular under Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea. Um, but I think, obviously, if any of your listeners had watched the Latvia game, um, it was really great to see Hummels back in the, in the, in the centre of that defence, pinging balls across the pitch. That outside of the foot long ball up to Gnabry uh, was just tremendous. Um, and, you know, an area of the pitch that looked really troublesome from Germany has now kind of almost overnight flipped around into possibly being one of their strengths going into this tournament because, um, you know, I had this discussion with a colleague today actually about the France national team. I think you've kind of shared the same opinion with me, Manu, uh, on Twitter that, I'm not entirely sure they're actually as good as people say they are. You look at that team on paper, there's a lot of players in that team. I actually looked at starting 11 against Bulgaria the other day, and I actually thought of the 11 players, maybe only three of them um, had had a good season and were going into this tournament in good form. But you look at that back three for Germany, or back four if you want to include Manuel Neuer, and you've got Neuer's had a really good season. Antonio Rudiger's had the best season of his career. Mats Hummels looks kind of back to his best for Dortmund right now. Um, and, you know, Matthias Ginter, um, who I think will probably be the, the, the third central defender in that team, he's had a perfectly good campaign. You know, Gladbach in general have looked a little up and down. I thought Ginter was particularly poor in that Champions League uh, uh, knockout game against Real Madrid in Spain. Uh, I remember him getting out jumped by Benzema for some headers, which just baffled me, to be honest. He just looked kind of 
Rabbit caught the headlights that day. But in general, he's been quite good for it. And I can understand why he's in that team. So I, I, I do understand why um, Lowe would go with a back three. And I'll, it kind of links in with my thoughts with the midfield, which I'm sure we can get on to. Uh, but that obviously allows Germany to play with these two wing backs, which I think could also be a real, a real asset for the German national team in this tournament. Yeah, I'm actually with you on a lot of these things. I think I'm actually a lot more optimistic about Germany's defense than I was maybe a few weeks ago. Um, I didn't like the fact that they conceded a goal against Latvia. That's that seemed unnecessary. It was, it was come on, it, yeah, it was some goal, wasn't it? Come on. <laughs> so fair enough. Okay, it it seemed unnecessary in so many ways, and Neuer obviously, I think he's ticked every time he concedes. Um, but. You can't, you can't allow this kind of stuff against France. And I, I am a lot more optimistic about this backline than I was. And um, I don't think it's... I think it's still Germany, Germany's Achilles heel in many ways. So like to, to point out the weaknesses, Hummels is not the fastest anymore, right? Rudika can be trapped quite a lot too. But it's probably not as big of a weakness than it was got like a few months ago before Hummels came back and before Rüdiger basically uh, rediscovered his talent under Thomas Tuchel. So I think when you look at the balance, I think it's going to be three to back. Um, and I think we, we they're going to get a lot of support from Gosens on the left and Kimmich on the right, right? And it looks like those two are going to be the two win, wing backs. And um, I think it's actually quite clever um, if this works out, I'm not 100% certain the 3 4 3 is the best formations, but it's kind of clever how Joachim Löw has, seems to have solved the issue with Kimmich in midfield, isn't it? Um, because he does like Tony Kroos a bit. Um, so basically, moving Kimmich into defense or into that right wing back role um, solves a lot of issues. It gives the defense a lot more stabilities and. Um, Gosens as well. I think he adds a lot of dynamic to that defense and also a lot more stability on the left as well, which is something that they lacked previously. And quite a lot of speed, which I think is is going to be very important against France in particular because of it's all going to be about shutting down Mbappe, right? I mean, that's what it really com- comes down to in the end. And um, I think that a lot of these players can actually do that um, without getting too exposed, um, you know, in terms of of other players that France has to offer. You mentioned Benzema. Griezmann comes to mind as well. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. But, um, Stefan, while we are at Kimmich and Gosens, I think that's quite a good transition to, to maybe talk about Germany's midfield. So quite clever by Löw, isn't it, to put Kimmich there? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think when the when the squad was announced, I did think, you know, Germany could have really used with someone like Baku as a kind of attacking right fullback. You know, options weren't great in that role. And then all of a sudden he sticks Kimmich in, uh, or Kimmich as a right wing back against Latvia. And a lot of people were kind of worried about it. I, I kind of thought, oh, you know, why are you playing the best, one of the best central midfielders at right wing back? But it worked really well against Latvia and it might be the kind of perfect way to kind of fit enough good players into this team. Um, you know, Kimmich, one of his one of his best kind of talents, I think, is the way he can link up play, the way he can create goals. Um, and as he showed against Latvia and as he showed for Bayern, obviously, over the years, he can do that just as well from the wing as he can in the centre of the pitch. 
Um, and obviously, this 3-4-3 formation obviously gets the best of him as a wing-back, but also Gosens, who I thought he and Kimmich were probably the two best players for Germany, aside from maybe a Havertz um, against Latvia. Now, of course, we all have to kind of take this with a pinch of salt because it's Latvia, and with all due respect to Latvia, they're not, they're not of the level of France, Portugal, or Hungary. But I think it was really interesting that this formation really seemed to get the most out of those wing plays, and it allowed... Um, I like Love to obviously stick with Tony Cruz in the middle of the pitch, Gundogan as well in the middle of the pitch. But because my main issue was obviously, well, if he's going a four-three-three means he's going to stick with a, a central midfield two rather than a three. And against teams like France, you would think, well, they might get overrun, especially if it's Tony Cruz and Gundogan, who you know Gundogan just proved recently in the Champions League final that he's no defensive midfielder. He likes to get forward. You know, he's number eight, sometimes even a number ten. Um, in games and Tony Cruz who you know I actually called him a luxury player to a colleague today and he's a big fan of Spanish football and he kind of almost fell off his chair at the thought of it because I always think of him as this kind of holding midfielder who's very good at passing the ball around but he's not exactly the kind of defensive player so my main concern would be having those two in the middle of the pitch against France but then of course if Germany are playing with his three at the back it means someone like Mats Hummels or Matthias Ginter or Rudiger can step out and meet a Griezmann or whoever else talk about in midfield. And it still means they have the cover to follow runners as well. So, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'd be very intrigued to see if Love does go with this 3-4-3 formation or, if you, or, 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 you know, and maybe this was to kind of um, compensate for lack of Goretzka in the first game, who's obviously missing through a hamstring injury. Um, but at the same time, I also think even though it looks a little light in midfield, it might actually offer more defensive stability for Germany because they have that extra central midfielder. Um, and of course, you know, if it means that they can get Hummels, uh, not Hummels, sorry, if it means that they can get Cruz and, um, uh, gosh, I forgot his name, Gundogan in the middle of the pitch and Kimmich there as well, then it solves a lot of problems, I think. I think Kroos is, is the big question mark for me because... He is a luxury player, without a doubt. I think you you hit the the nail on the head there. And he had an okay season for Real Madrid. He is the sort of player that can be exposed quite easily because of 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 his tendency to play the ball to the right and the left and slowing down the game quite a bit. For me, the the question is: Will he be a player that will give you stability, or will he be a player that makes you exposed in midfield? to teams that are faster and more dynamic. And that's why I think why a lot of people would have preferred Leon Goretzka and Kimmich in central midfield, right? As sort of the dynamic duo that they, they were with Bayern Munich. But I, I kind of wonder if by sticking Gosens and Kimmich on either flank, whether that actually fixes that problem to a certain extent, that it gives you the benefit of having a stabilizing factor in Tony Kroos in central midfield, someone who can control the game, and take the tempo out, which I think you will have to against France at times, um, without having to sacrifice those dynamic elements that a Joshua Kimmich gives you. So it's actually, I think, kind of clever to put Kimmich where he is. And Gosens, I think we have to talk about Gosens. I mean, we had this debate before the podcast, Stefan, whether it's Hosens or Gosens, um, <laughs> because of his Dutch-German background. Um, typical late bloomer. I think he's going to be a player that a lot of people are going to be watching and a lot of people are going to pay attention to. Every once in a while, there's a rumor about 
him going back to the Bundesliga. I think before last year, there was a rumor that he um, was going to go to Schalke. Um, gosh, he dodged a bullet, didn't he? <laughs> so <laughs> uh, imagine that. Um, that would have been quite, I think his entire season would have been very different. But he's a very important player at a very good Atalanta side. And, and an Atalanta side that has been a contender in Italy now for several years. And, and, you know, we kind of forget that Italian football exists at times, but he's a very good player, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. And he, as you say, he might end up being really huge for Germany. I think the fullback position is obviously, it's kind of like a paradoxical thing with Germany because in previous tournaments, Loeb's kind of almost overlooked it at times, but then it's obviously played a kind of huge role. Uh, you know, I'm thinking back to Jonas Hector, kind of so-so performances through the years. Um, Hovedes playing as a right-back in that World Cup winning campaign. Um, you know, it's it, it, it's, and obviously Loeb's obviously seems to just always want to play a back three, even if he can from time to time. But the, the, the thing with this formation, and the, if he does decide to stick with this 3-4-3 formation, is it puts so much emphasis on... Um, Gozens and Kimmich to really get up the pitch because they are the only real width in this team um, especially if Lov goes with the kind of front three that we saw against Latvia which you know we'll talk about the attack in a wee bit I suppose but um, all I'll say now is that it was it was quite narrow you had players dipping inside playing off one another kind of really really dynamic roaming around front three not not so you know very very different from a kind of classic 4-3-3 for example where you have where you would maybe have like a Leroy Sane on one wing who's really hugging the touchline. Didn't really so much have that in this formation, so really relies a lot on Gozens. And, you know, I thought Gozens was maybe, I think I've already mentioned this in the podcast already, I thought he was one of the best players for Germany against Latvia. The way he was really just running down to that line. He loves playing one-twos with Havertz, getting down to the bottom of the line, cutting the ball back. Um, and that's exactly what Germany are going to need to beat teams like France because... In those wing-back positions, it only works if those guys are really pushing up and really putting pressure on France's fullbacks. Because France, obviously, guys like Havertz or Werner or Kevin Holland, or sorry, it's more likely to be Gnabry, they'll, they'll be tasked with, obviously, pinning those fullbacks back. But it only works if you then have Kimmich and Gozens bobbing on. And, you know, this will be a real test for Gozens because he's obviously stepping up a level. I know, you know he plays for Atlante, he plays for a very high level in Serie A, but if he kind of gets a little stage fright and he's thinking, I have to sit back here and help Rudiger with Mbappe, then it kind of defeats the whole purpose of the formation and the whole purpose of the system. Um, and I really do think if, if they stick with this 3-4-3 formation, the kind of creative outlet has to come from those two wingbacks. So, you know, I'm not going to say Germany's entire Euro campaign depends on Gozen and Kimmich kind of bombing down the wing every game, but their performances will be either greatly hindered or improved if the two of those wing-backs can really be allowed to play as proper wing-backs. Maybe my my final thought on this before we do move on to the forwards or the attack, which nowadays includes also midfielders, right? The way that the AFB always announces it. It's just like, essentially, they announce uh, attacking players and defending players. And I guess... That's the truth is also with Gozens and Kimmich. I guess we could have talked about him in defense. But what I thought was really interesting in the preview part that I did with um, Jonathan Johnson, Tom Kondat, and uh, Thomas Mortimer, you know, breaking down Germany's opponents, is that both Jonathan and Tom, so Jonathan for France and Tom for Portugal, they were very worried about their respective national teams 
right and left back situation. And that's maybe where Joachim Löw is looking at too. And he says like, oh, Gosens, he can give Pavard a lot of trouble there against France. And I mean, we we know Guerrero from the Bundesliga and uh, what a wonderful player he is. But um, the way he plays actually exposes Portugal quite a bit. And you almost look at the what Joachim Löw is doing here and he might kind of already, he might found out the same than we did speaking to experts that look at these national teams on day in and day out and say, hmm, they're vulnerable there. And what can we do to make the most out of it? And this might be it. Gosens might be it. And a lot of people are looking at all sorts of players that could be key for Germany. I think in this group stage, this might of course change later on in the tournament, but I think in this group stage, he's the player that they will rely on the most. And um, and I think that's really interesting because I don't think a lot of people have him on their radar. And not only us, because like we do German football, but we do mostly Bundesliga. We don't do Serie A. Um, but I think the same will be true for France and Portugal. And I think that's going to be an interesting one to watch. But we have mentioned the attack, Stefan. So let's take a look. Can I add one final thing before we move on to attack? Because yeah, just for off sure. the back, you made a really good point there, particularly in France. It's going to be a really interesting dynamic that both of their fullbacks are going to be Bayern Munich players because you've also got Pavard on the right and Hernandez on the left. And this kind of goes back to my kind of concerns about France going into this tournament because Pavard hasn't had a good season by any stretch of imagination at uh, Bayern. And Hernandez has had an up and down season, but his good performances have come at central defence, in my opinion. Um, you know, he's, he's played as a left back from time to time, but he's, he's said himself that he sees himself more as a central defender going forward. And that could be a really interesting dynamic for that opening game because you can imagine Germany lining up uh, against this team with Pavard at right back and Hernandez at left back. You have Joshua Kimmich who's up against Hernandez uh, on that wing spot thinking, you know, I know exactly how Hernandez plays. I know exactly how uncomfortable he is on the left wing wing back. I know, he, I know, I know he'd much rather be playing centre back, and he'll know he'll make because we all know how good Kimmich is. He's one of the smartest players in the world, more than anything else. Uh, he'll know Hernandez's pros and cons. And then on the other wing, you'll have you know a German team that's full of Bayern players thinking we really need to attack Pavard because even though he's our teammate and he's a good friend, he's not had a good season. He's got no confidence. Um, you know. We watch Kingsley Coleman sprint past him in training every week, something like that. You know, I'm, I'm obviously just kind of speculating here, but it'd be really interesting if th- th- that's that's going to be one of the main dynamics going into this first game. Because as good as France are, and as good as they have Mbappe or Griezmann or Pogba, or whatever, the whole team depends on these fullbacks. Who the Bayern team, the Bayern players, and the Germany team will know fine well that they they're coming off the back of some pretty poor a pretty poor season. Clever by Bayern to put a couple of Trojan horses into the France side. <laughs> can always trust Bayern. <laughs> yeah, we always can. So let's 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 move to the attack, Stefan. Let's chat about that next. Havertz cropping up on the right hand side, feeding Gundogan, who almost got it through, and then fires in for two. Two in a minute. Firstly goes and Zanil Kai Gundogan. Kai Havertz involved yet again. Yeah, uh, attack. Um, that includes every player who is um, a forward-minded minded player these days. Um, so uh, wingers, attackers, forwards, centre-forwards. Um, centre-forwards, of which Germany has none. Um, 
have to have to really say it in that drastic kind of language. Germany is not going to this tournament with a classic center forward. People will yell and scream at me and like, what about Timo Werner? What about Kevin Folland? It's like, I'm, I'm sorry, but if you, I don't know, around a meter 80 and uh, play mostly on the wing, you don't classify to me as a center forward. That's just not how I see that position. Um, I want to maybe start with that as a weakness and then we can move to on all this great talent that they have in all these other areas, Stefan. I religiously watch the U21 championships every year. Every year it's on, right? And um, probably because Germany is very good at this tournament and you know have won last, the, out of the last three, they have won two and reached the final every single time. And there was a guy playing for Germany who scored four goals, won the golden boot. His name is Nemcha. He, granted, he plays in Belgium as a Manchester City product. And, um, but he is, he is in many ways that number nine that Germany don't have. You know, a classic center forward who gets into that tight space and scores from a tight space in the middle of the box or who gets in the end of a header and like just hammers at home. And he's done that a lot in this tournament. All the important goals were his uh, for the U21. I don't think he's quite ready for the A-team, but I would have liked to have him in the squad nonetheless. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I can understand that concern. Well, having watched the last couple of games going into this tournament, I'm I'm kind of okay with the German national with the German attack, uh, and I'm okay with the direction that Lowe's going in. But you know, from previous tournaments, we know how um, how reluctant Lowe was to go into these tournaments without having a classic number nine. Obviously, you know, Closer was the classic example of that. Um, in the past and you're right we don't really have a number nine in that regard I mean if push came to shove you could you, you really could maybe ask Thomas Miller to play that role or you can maybe even ask Kai Havers to play that role but it, it, it wouldn't be playing to their strengths um, and you know it probably wouldn't work very well but I'm, I'm, I'm not as concerned about it as you are I think you make a really good point um, you know but I, I must admit I have quite enjoyed watching Thomas Muller come back into this team, um, much like Mats Hummels, it's just as if he never left. And, you know, having watched that Latvia game, I mean, again, I know it's just Latvia and I really need to stop kind of basing my entire preview on one friendly against But that's Mat- the sample size we have. Yeah, it is. Right? But the way he just kind of, it was classic Thomas Muller. You know, he was playing almost like a, num- like a false nine. Havertz and Nabry were playing off him like the three of them had played together for years. Obviously, in the case of Nabry, he has. Um, and I thought it worked just tremendously well. You know, the fullbacks, the wingbacks bombing on, the way that Havertz and Nabry kind of possessed, uh, kind of took on those kind of half spaces in the box. Thomas Muller too. There's there's, there's just so much chemistry between the three players. Um, and I, I, I thought, you know, this is... And I think I've said this to you in the previous podcast. If you'd asked me six months ago, I was very kind of pessimistic against Germany. But in that game in particular, it looked like a team who were just hitting their peak at the perfect time in terms of the chemistry between the forward line. And I, you know, I'd love to see Nabry, Muller, and um, Havertz start against France. To be perfectly honest with you, you know, particularly. And I think that's the three that will start. Yeah, you know, and I think. Sorry to cut you off there. Um, just. Particularly in Nabry, I mean, obviously Havertz and Muller probably kind of speak for themselves, but 
Nabry just seems to be one of these players who's kind of constantly kind of maybe not overlooked because his, his his coaches always rate him, but um, just in terms of maybe his profile, he doesn't have the same profile as perhaps like a, a Leroy Sani, for example, but or even a Timo Werner. But I think he offers a lot more, particularly than Sani, because I think if you kind of stick Sani into that formation that they played against Latvia, I know he, I know he came on, um, I think he maybe even scored actually, but he, he I think he's a lot more one dimensional. Sani, he's a little more predictable perhaps and he can get away with it because he can obviously has acceleration, he has the certain talents that he has but um, I think if you're kind of looking for a really smart kind of unorthodox front line, I think Nabry, Havers and Muller all actually work really well together, especially with these bombing on players and especially with guys like uh, Gundogan and Tony Cruz and even Mats Hummels behind them, kind of just passing those balls to them through the game Yeah, in fairness uh, transfer mark we have Canabria as the most valuable attacking player ahead of Timo Werner together with Kai Havertz who I think is going to be that number nine because he does have the goal that he scored for Chelsea right um, in the Champions League final um, was a typical striker's goal I, I think when he had that great season for Leverkusen where he scored 17 goals he he does offer that aerial ability that you need in that role uh, you know, so I think um, I think they're going to rotate that position um, with Müller always kind of slightly behind where he's the best. I mean, Müller is going to do whatever he wants anyway. That's just <laughs> the way he plays. Like, we don't let's don't try to do, put a position on him because I think he's the sort of player where you just tell, okay, like you in the front three, I don't care where you are exactly, just do whatever you think is best because he's going to do that anyways, right? Whenever you press him into some sort of role, you're not going to get the best out of him. That's, that's just a fact. I think we've learned that. And I think that's probably why Löw had issues with going forward with him originally and now has probably seen the light um, and realized that this team is not going to work without Thomas Müller. He's, he is such an important part of it and he's going to make that front three tick because he is that creative player. But I think when we look at who's going to fulfill that number nine role in at least at, at uh, set-piece situations, I think it's going to be Kai Havertz. He is going to be the one who they're going to look for whenever they, they're they throwing a corner or a, a, you know, a free kick or anything like that. I think he's going to be at the end of that ball. Like he was with Leverkusen, uh, what was it, 2018, 2019, right? I, I was just going to wax lyrically about Kai Havertz. Um, he, alongside Rudiger, just seems to be really the top of his game right now. You know, he got a lot of stick uh, at the start of the season from fans in England because he really wasn't up to scratch. Um, a lot of that was down to the fact that he caught COVID. Um, and he was one of the few players to actually openly admit that how much it physically hurt him and how much it physically impacted on him. Seems to long COVID too. Yeah, sorry, of course. Yeah, um, and you know, but his, it seems over the last kind of three or four months, he's kind of finally been able to get over that, and you know, he just looks in really great shape. That game against Latvia, with all due respect to Latvia, he was strolling through that game. You know, he really was just he was having so much fun, and he just has so much to his game to an extent. You know, he's obviously he still has to fill in a bit as a player, obviously, because he still kind of has that kind of that kind of teenage boy physique if you want to call it I, I really don't mean to use this comparison because it's not fair to any player but he actually reminds me a lot of Cristiano Ronaldo when he first arrived at Man United and you could see that he had everything about him but then once he bulked up he could you know he could push a defender over just as easily as he could run past him I really do think that's the kind of player we're talking about here because 
Um, for that German front line, he can, you know, he's good in the air, which is something that people overlook. Uh, he can sprint by players. He can shoot from distance. He can uh, he can create goals as well as he can finish them. Um, you know, I think honestly, I think if there's kind of one player, one attacking player in, in this German national team who could really go on to find himself, well, not to find himself because he already has, but he could end, he could possibly end up being the most important attacking player for Germany in this tournament. I mean, I think Thomas Müller coming back would be a huge thing. I think that could prove to be a really important part as to whether Germany really go on and properly challenge this tournament, but. You might find that Havertz is, just continues to take on more and more responsibility as each game goes on, as he has for Chelsea. Yeah, I, I think you spot on there. And I think, you know, just talking about the side, and I'm a journalist, but I'm also German, and I love the national team. I've always supported them. And um, going into this tournament, I was extremely negative just a few months ago. But the more I think about it, Stefan, and I mean, this is almost our final point now, I think it's a dangerous group. Don't make any mistake about this. This is the most dangerous group and most difficult group to navigate in this entire tournament for everyone, right? Not just for Germany, but also for France and Portugal and anyone that I talked to. And this was why the last podcast was so fantastic because, you know, I really got to gauge where everyone else was at. So when you listen to this, also go back and listen to the other show because they kind of go together, right? I, I I do think that the other countries look at this Germany side and say, hmm, there's a lot of talent there and they haven't been great and Joachim Löw is an X factor. But if they manage to get the horsepower on the field, they will hurt us and they will hurt us bad. And I think if they get out of this group, anything is possible. I, I've heard some people say that they don't think Germany is going to win the Euros. Now, look, don't go out there now and bet money on Germany winning the Euros. Um, I I wouldn't do that myself. But please do not bet against them either. Uh, don't put your house on Germany not winning the Euros. Like, your house will be in greater jeopardy if you do it the other way around. I'll tell you that. Because the site is dangerous. And I think it's a lot better than people think. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think if they end up kind of winning their group, they've got a really great chance of... Um, you know, doing. I mean, I think if they win their group, they play the runners up of Group B, which will probably be Russia or Denmark. Um, which they could, you know, you could quite foreseeably, 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 God, I can't speak, uh, win. And then, you know, then the quarterfinals, um, at which point, I mean, the way I ran through the tournament is I had them playing Sweden in the quarterfinals, and then I think they play maybe um, Belgium or someone at that point in, in my calculations, but. You know, I think we'll know very early on what kind of Germany team we're playing against because they, in their very first game, they have to play the favourites, you know. So um, they could lose that game and then they could kind of stumble through the group by, you know, getting points against Portugal and beating Hungary. Uh, or they might end up causing a huge upset in the very first game. And then at that point, suddenly Germany do become favourites. But I think they'll really benefit from the fact that very few people um, are giving them um, huge chances of winning the tournament. Um, I mean, I know that you mentioned on a previous podcast how a lot of like, goal impact, for example, and other people like that have suggested that Germany actually do have a good chance. And people like ourselves who follow the team maybe are a lot more optimistic now. But I think the overall public opinion in the world, I guess you want to call that, is wouldn't really rate Germany as among the favourites. Um, obviously, there's a the whole thing about Yogi Love leaving and being replaced by Hansi Flick. Um, and the fact that Mats Hummels and um, Thomas Müller are not only 
have come back into this team, but they've settled in very quickly. And I think all those three things will play in Germany's favour. And I, I, I honestly have them down as one of the favourites. I have them and, ironically, Portugal uh, as the favourites to go into this. I think, of, weirdly enough, of, of that group, I think we have the three favourites for the tournament, to be honest with you. Um, and I think it could very easily be Germany. Yeah, I think so too. I think the winner out of I think the winner from this tournament will come out of this group. Um, that's my early prediction. So we'll see. We'll see if we're right. Um, Stefan, we're out of time. I, I'm immensely looking forward to this tournament, and I think um, we're going to probably we are going to go through this tournament, doing more of these shows. Um, a lot of it last minute and without scheduled, and I mean, not what we usually do. You know, the weekly Bundesliga podcast, but. Yeah, really looking forward to it now. And I think uh, hopefully the next time we're on here, we have something positive to talk about. So let's leave it at that. But uh, before we go, Stefan, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at sbinkowski, where I routinely put up the things I write about and just my general musings about German football. I can't promise it's always good, but it's usually entertaining. So feel free to come along and follow me and say hello. It's definitely entertaining. So I can I can attest to that. Um, yeah, that's it from us for from this show. Uh, we'll be back shortly, um, probably after the France game. So until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.